Hey, what's up everybody? This is Austin Haynes with the Waking Justice Project, and this is your daily wake-up call. Here's what the corporatocracy is up to today, November 21st, 2019. You can visit our website at wakingjustice.org for more details. Here are the headlines. In our Whistleblower Wednesday podcast yesterday, we profiled Peter Buxton. In 1972, Buxton blew the whistle on what turned out to be the biggest medical research scandal in U.S. history. For 40 years, the U.S. government was funding human experimentation, intentionally infecting people with STDs. Over all those years, researchers monitored the victims routinely, and even though researchers could cure the disease, they didn't, not even to prevent all the deaths that resulted. The victims of the study were the powerless and downtrodden, 600 black Americans who were poor sharecroppers in Alabama, hundreds of prison inmates in Indiana and New York State, and 1,300 Guatemalans, also including prisoners there, but mental patients and even young orphaned children as well. It turns out that all that suffering and death was all just to create a vaccine so they could vaccinate US soldiers against STDs when stationed overseas. Four decades of despicable cruelty and thousands of innocent lives destroyed, all just to protect the labor investment of the corporatocracy's war machine. And all that time, all that research was fully funded and overseen by the U.S. Public Health Service and the National Institutes of Health. So there must have been hundreds, if not thousands of doctors, nurses, bureaucrats, and politicians who all knew about it. How could they have let such a program ever get started, much less go on for so long? That's what we're going to explore on today's daily wake-up call. Were the folks who worked on that research just cruel, evil people? That's pretty much what we thought when we first looked into all this, but the answers we found are way more disturbing. Check this out. We found a group of groundbreaking studies that rocked our world. The studies explored human behavior from a few different angles and how social conformity and obedience to authority can work on us when we're a part of a structured group. We'll put all the results together and see what they can tell us about all the folks involved in the horrible research scandal that Peter Buxton exposed. All right, here goes. The first study we want to share is called the Stanford Prison Experiment. It was a study about obedience to authority. 18, quote, middle-class students volunteered for a two-week study about prison guard and prisoner relations in a mock prison environment. By coin toss, half the students were selected to pose as the mock prison guards and the other half posed as the prisoners. The prisoners were dressed in prison smocks, shackled in ankle chains, and given a number to be used in place of their name. The guards all wore uniforms and mirrored glasses and were instructed to create an environment for the prisoners that would lead to loss of privacy, control, and individuality. The guards could reward the cooperative prisoners with privileges, such as extra food and bathroom breaks, and they could withhold those privileges from any prisoner whenever the guards deemed it appropriate. The students got so caught up in their roles that halfway through the study, half the prisoners had to be released due to severe emotional breakdowns and the study had to be stopped. 
In follow-up interviews after the study, the guards felt like the prisoners who had broken down emotionally had got what they deserved because they were weak and uncooperative. We'll come back to that in a minute, but first we want to tell you about another study called the Milgram Experiment on Obedience. The Milgram Experiment studied the willingness of participants to obey authority figures who instructed them to perform behaviors that conflicted with their personal sense of morality. The participants were told that they were a part of a study that was looking into whether learning could be improved by negative reinforcement. Each study group had three people, one who would ask scripted questions to one called the learner. The third was the participant who was instructed to administer an electric shock whenever the learner gave a wrong answer. Each study group had three people, one who would ask scripted questions to one called the learner. The third was a participant who was instructed to administer an electric shock whenever the learner gave a wrong answer. The learner and the questioner were both secretly part of the study, but the participant who was supposed to administer the shock was not and had no idea that they were the ones who were the real subjects of the study. The shock box that was used was actually fake, but the participant was told it could deliver a shock of up to 450 volts. The questioner was dressed in a white lab coat and would direct the participant on how high a shock should be given. As the shocks increased, the learners would act out in pain, screaming that they wanted to quit. But despite the screams, 65% of the participants continued to administer the shock all the way to the full 450 volts. 65%. Both studies were trying to figure out how group conformity and authority can cause people to behave in ways that are in conflict with how they would normally act. In both experiments, the vast majority of those who were positioned with authority or privilege willingly committed cruelty to others, even though they could have stopped at any time that they chose. And with that, we want to share two other quick experiments. These were conducted with children. The first is called the Brown Eyes, Blue Eyes Experiment, conducted by a third grade teacher at an all-white school. The teacher, Jane Elliott, told her students one day that they would do an experiment to see what discrimination feels like. She separated the students into two groups, those with brown eyes or green eyes in one group, and those with blue eyes in another. She told the kids that for the day, they'd all pretend that those with brown or green eyes were, quote, cleaner and smarter and better people than the kids with the blue eyes. The brown eyes got special privileges, longer lunchtime and recess. The blue eyes all had to wear green armbands, had shorter recess, and were made to use a paper cup when drinking from the water fountain so they didn't contaminate it for others. Over the course of the day, the experiment would take on a life of its own. The slower students among the brown-eyed group gained new confidence and performed better in classroom activities. A smart blue-eyed girl who was good at math started making simple mistakes. At recess, three brown-eyed girls bullied the blue-eyed girl. We're better than you, Bluey, they called her. The next day, Elliot reversed the rules to see how the kids would adjust. After the second day, when the exercise ended, some of the kids hugged and some cried. Elliot asked them to write down what they learned. And typical of their responses was little Debbie Hughes, who wrote, quote, the people in Miss Elliot's room 
who had brown eyes got to discriminate against the people who had blue eyes. I have brown eyes. I felt like hitting them if I wanted to. I got to have five minutes extra of recess. But the next day, when the tables were turned, Debbie added, quote, I felt like quitting school. I felt mad. That's what it feels like when you're discriminated against, she said. The last study is called the Doll Test, conducted by two psychologists, the husband and wife team of Kenneth and Mamie Clark. The Doll Test was simple and straightforward. Young children were presented with two baby dolls, a black doll and a white doll. And the kids were asked a series of questions. Which doll is ugly? Which doll is smart? Which doll is better and why? Overwhelmingly, all the kids who took part in the study, including the black children, favored the white doll the most. The black doll is ugly, the children would say. The white doll is smarter and better. After answering the questions about their preferences, the children were then asked which doll did they think resembles them most. The little black girls would quietly point at the black doll. The looks on their little faces are haunting. So taken all together, what do you think all these studies conclude? Thanks for checking us out today. If you want to learn how all of us in the work of global justice can join together in strategic boycott and force this corporatocracy to the people's bargaining table to end all this injustice, cruelty, and corruption, and to help save our planet, please visit our website at wakingjustice.org. You can check out our About page and listen to our first podcast. And if you want to get involved, please fill out the Join Us form at the top right of the page. Or you can email us at info at wakingjustice.org. We'd love to hear from you. We're running out of time, y'all. Join us. Peace. You must be involved in the struggle for freedom and justice. Justice is rising and it ain't just us, it's all of us. If it's our love.